You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So I'm not only proud of you for hanging in there through this whole denominational contention, I'm also very proud of you for hanging in there through this series of messages on the art of holiness, which has lasted seven Sundays. How, what person in their right mind makes a decision, thinks it's a good idea to spend seven Sundays on entire sanctification? Who does that? I do. What was I thinking? <laughs> What was I thinking? Every week I discovered that I know even less about entire sanctification than I thought I knew. Um, On Friday, I texted Kevin Watson, who's literally written the book on this, and said, at the end of this series, I know three things. One, I am not entirely sanctified. Two, I wish I was. And three, defining entire sanctification as a lived experience is almost as hard as living it. So why have we put ourselves through this whole exercise? Um, Well, it's because we've talked a whole lot more than usual lately um, because of denominational concerns about what it means to be Methodist. And a lot of Methodism is just basic Orthodox Christianity. What it means to be Methodist is what it means to be Christian. And and just like what it means to be Baptist is what it means to be Christian. And what it means to be Presbyterian is what it means to be Christian. Or any other flavor. There's a whole lot of overlap between those tribes. But each of our tribes brings something to the table that distinguishes us. And And for Methodists, that thing is Christian perfection or entire sanctification, or being made perfect in love in this life, or holiness, whatever term you want to use, they all pretty much mean the same thing. Christian perfection is the distinctive mark of people called Methodist. And by Methodist, I don't, like I said, don't mean United Methodist specifically, but all those who can trace their roots to an expression of the Christian faith that really experienced quite a revival in the 1700s and has been growing ever since. So that today... There are more than a billion people, that's billion with a B, more than a billion people in the world who belong to that theological stream and who talk about Christian perfection um, or entire sanctification or what it means to be made perfect in love in this life as part of their spiritual heritage. And that makes it worth talking about. Listen. Wouldn't it be something if a billion people in the world got more serious about what it means to be more perfectly loving? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if if a billion people in the world took seriously the call to to take that, uh, to, to, to seek that kind of Christian perfection that purifies our motives, that, that perfects our capacity to love without agenda, that allows us to be made perfect in love in this life. Wouldn't that be something? Who, does, who doesn't want the world to have, to have more loving people in it? Who doesn't want a world that loves more perfectly, more purely, more like Jesus? 
So who doesn't want that? We, we, we need a little momentum in that direction. And so we're doing our part here at 478 Columbia Industrial Boulevard. For seven weeks, we have been trying to fan that flame. And so now it's ours to take out of here. So, um, in his book, Holy Love, Kevin Watson says this, Entire sanctification is the doctrine that defines Methodism's audacious optimism. Don't you love that phrase? That the grace of God saves us entirely, even to the uttermost. Audacious optimism. I love thinking of us as people who carry that kind of spirit, truly the spirit of Jesus, this, this glorious trust in God's ability to make us better than we are, and then better and better still, and, and to believe that God actually has the capacity to heal me, and then to heal my, my, my body and to heal my mind and to make me whole and holy. My goodness, that is optimistic and it is reason for joy. And it goes against the typical narrative surrounding this whole idea of holiness. You know, I mean, we hear the word holiness. We, the Puritans have ruined holiness for all of us. Let's just say that. They make it sound like a list of dry and joyless rules we had to follow in order to keep God happy. And as a consequence, we still hear the word holiness and we wonder what we've done wrong. That's kind of our default. We forget that freedom and lightness and joy are the hallmarks of the holy life. Holiness is meant to release us into the joys of the kingdom of God, to operate in holy Love, loving God with all my heart and with all my mind and with all my strength and with all my soul and loving my neighbor as if they are my own. That's how we welcome and advance the kingdom of God. That's the good life. It's not meant to be an unbearable burden. It's meant to be the ultimate form of freedom. Now, I've discovered you don't have to understand it to pursue it. <laughs> you just have to want it. Have to want your motives to be more pure, your desires to be more Christ-honoring, your, your heart to be more open to loving like Jesus loves, which is the, it's not sentimental love at all, but, but a, a kind of love that wants only the highest and best for anyone. So how do we get that? Well, I don't know. And <laughs> so I have this little jar. Um, I've, I've, there's a, one of my... Uh, buddies here at Mosaics said to me, she got tired of coming into my office and every time she would bring up something I didn't know the answer to, I would just say, I don't know the answer to that. And she said, I'm going to put a jar in here that you put a quarter in every time you say, I don't know. And so I got a very little jar thinking that would be really funny. You know, it says, I don't know, but here's what I think jar. That's what that says. Well, I have to tell you that for this one, I need a bigger jar. Okay. <laughs> I need a bigger jar. We, we have, I told them at this, about this at the last service. Evidently, people have gone ahead on their I don't know and put in whole dollar bills into this jar. <laughs> I need a bigger jar because there are, when it comes to sanctification, I don't know how you get there. I don't, I don't know how you, uh, what, what qualifies as perfect love. I'm, I'm really not sure you can do it in one lifetime. I'm really not sure. But... I, even though we teach it that way, I, I, I do believe you're a whole lot more likely to get there if you are pointed in that direction. So I want to close today with a few, what, the, the, the closest to practical I can get 
um, that Paul gives us in the closing paragraphs of his first uh, letter to the Thessalonian followers of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, turn in with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at this very closing paragraph, chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. The best way to engage the Word is always with a Bible, something to write in, something to write with. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul writes this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I hear three things in, this, in these two verses that point us toward a sanctified life. First, what is it? Rejoice, Rejoice always, right? There's, there's an audacious optimism in that. Number two, pray continually. It's on the screen, actually, guys. You can look at it. Number three, <laughs> give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will, Paul tells us, to do things that connect us not just with God, but with his joy. As it turns out, the mood of a sanctified person is good. It's very good. Because God is holy, I can be happy. That's amazing news, isn't it? Because God is holy, I can be happy. So, so the focus there is on God, not me, rejoicing in God's goodness, God's majesty, God's faithfulness, love, power, wisdom, justice, God's beauty. Rejoice always because a good, majestic, faithful, loving, powerful, wise, just, beautiful, holy God who is all those things has his sights on us and in his hand. John Oswalt writes this, if we will focus on Jesus, and this is actually um, uh, Tim Keller, who just recently passed away, he says the same thing. You focus, the, the object of your faith is a person. It's not your own actions. If we will focus on Jesus, loving him, pleasing him, experiencing his life flowing through us, his holiness will be ours as a natural byproduct of the relationship. So, Oswald asks, am I holy is the wrong question. The questions are, is Jesus the sole reigning Lord of my life? Is Jesus' mind being created in me? Is Jesus being glorified by my behavior? Are people being drawn to Jesus because of my life? Is Jesus becoming more beautiful, more desirable because of what he's doing in my life? In this way, Oswald goes on, we will de-emphasize ourselves with our performance and achievements, and recognize that everything in us is a result of his life being lived through us. This means holiness is a passion and not a performance. When we think of holiness as something we must do, all the dangers of perfectionism, legalism, etc. are lurking nearby. But it is not holiness we want, it is God. The intentional passionate, focused pursuit of God. That is the pursuit of holiness. I love how Miriam Swanson puts this. We've used this, uh, we've used her illustration before, but it, it, it works here. You know, she talks about her white skinny jeans um, or, or, or the white skinny jeans she can't wear because the minute you put on white skinny jeans, what happens? 
<laughs> the spaghetti sauce and the coffee and find you. They seem to find you. And that tends to be the way we think about holiness. We tend to think of holiness as a pair of white jeans in a universe overrun by spaghetti sauce and coffee. So we have to protect ourselves and wear raincoats because God is only admitting people into heaven whose genes are unstained. Holiness has gotten such a bad rap because of that distorted image of what it is. But what if, what if, listen to me, what if instead of holiness being this incredibly delicate thing we have to guard, what if instead, instead of holiness being a pair of white skinny jeans, what if it is actually bleach? <laughs> what if it is actually a beautiful thing that we get to bear into the world, walking into the world, splashing bleach out before us so that we are ushering it into the world rather than it ushering us out. What if? Friends, what I want to say to you is this. Holiness is the ultimate form of freedom. It is to be watchable, not because guilt makes me feel watched or stained, but because freedom makes me feel free. <laughs> Go back to Paul's wisdom in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. He gives us three more. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So as close as this can come to practical, here are three more. One, do not quench the spirit. Two, don't preach prophecies with contempt. And, other way, and otherwise, do not be afraid of the supernatural. Do not be afraid that a supernatural God or doubtful or skeptical that a supernatural God might want to speak to you and through you. And three, hold on to good. Reject what is evil. On the Christian calendar, today is Pentecost Sunday. Taylor mentioned it to you. 50 days after Easter, when we celebrate God's outpouring of the Holy Spirit onto all humankind, which means that all of us can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me get an amen in the house. He is free for the asking. Jesus said... Do, do, how about if you, if you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will a good, loving, majestic, wise, holy, heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Jesus said that. And now Paul is asking us not only to seek the Holy Spirit, but to follow him as far as he takes us. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't minimize the supernatural power of God. Don't doubt the gift of prophecy or God's desire to speak a fresh word into your life because this whole holiness thing hangs on being able to go as far as God wants to take you. I got to tell you, you can do a lot of things as a minister of the gospel that do not require the Holy Spirit. I can... I can organize groups, I can make a budget for the year, I can build out a building. I sure hope this was not done without the power of the Holy Spirit, but it could happen. 
I could, I could um, manage a staff team. A lot of you guys do those things. A lot of you guys do those things in your jobs right now, and you can do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Why would you want to? <laughs> Why would you quench the Spirit when you could walk in the power of the Spirit and see how far your faith can take you? That's the question we asked last week that I have has been sitting heavy with me this week. I, I can feel when I ask that question just how little I lean on my faith, how little I trust it, how often I operate as if the Holy Spirit is somewhere else out there and not an intimate, personal presence. Deuteronomy, the writer of Deuteronomy says he is closer than your next breath. It's not over some mountain you have to go find him or a, across some ocean. He is right here. So I've been asking myself, if I really lean, if I really lean, just how far could my faith take me to actually have to use my faith rather than my gifts or my intellect or my common sense? How far can I stretch that rubber band? Believing that, it, that the faith rubber band doesn't break or snap. <laughs> It actually gets stronger. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. Under the power of the Holy Spirit. So what about you? What would get you moving in the power of the Spirit? Not by sight, not by reason, but by faith. There's a Hebrew word in Deuteronomy 7.2. It refers to the irrevocable giving over of things or, or persons to the Lord, often by totally destroying them. The very words in the NIV, that the, the, the words for the, this, this term, the word the NIV uses to, to, um, to, to interpret this term is to make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. And it says, don't marry them, we're told, which resonates with me because I want to marry lots of things. I like certainty. I like what I like when I like it. Amen by myself. For the Israelites, this word for them was about building a community that was not compromised and that was headed toward the promises of God. And this was God's way of keeping them inside holy boundaries. When he said, don't make a treaty with them, show no mercy, don't marry them, what he was saying was, don't compromise don't, don't assume that fuzzy lines are okay. You may have to actually totally destroy some things in your life in order to go the distance with me, says the Lord. For people who have been in, in survivor mode for generations, I'm talking about the Israelites who, who had constantly compromised just to stay alive. This was a radically new way of, of discerning their options. There was no live and let live to this way of life. Either a thing or a person was for the one true God or they were against it. And those who were against had to be permanently, irrevocably given over to God. Don't compromise. Don't marry cheap ideas or you will stifle the Holy Spirit. So on this way of holiness... I have to lay down everything on the altar. And there's, and there's no taking it back. I even have to lay on the altar my I don't knows. 
All of it. And there's no taking it back. And that's incredibly difficult because it requires a complete retraining of my brain in those places where I've been thinking one way for so long that it's really hard to think another way. You know what I'm saying? Everything I lay up there on that altar has to be completely sacrificed. I have to be open to letting God destroy, totally destroy those things he deems necessary to totally destroy to hold on to what is good and let go of what is evil. It's like when you clean out your closet. You know, we do this every once in a while. And, and, and so, you know, you've cleaned out your closet before and you've gotten rid of stuff before, but this time you go and you clean out your closet and you discover there's stuff in there that you haven't ever cleaned out, even though you said you cleaned out your closet. Those, it's, the, it's those shirts from the 70s or that, that, the polyester leisure, leisure suit that's still hanging in your closet which even if Napoleon Dynamite made it cool again, you should never wear that thing ever. <laughs> but tossing it feels like such a waste. But you know it's got to go. That's what God is after. The things that do not fit your followers' life. They have to go. So what, what fits in that category for you? What needs to go so you don't stifle the spirit? Not just boxed up and stuck in your attic, but all the way to goodwill and you walk away. These last two verses are Paul's blessing over us at the end of this series. May, the God, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless as, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I love that last line, especially. This is the promise for this, at the, and the punchline at the end of a whole lot of words we have spilled on the subject of holiness. Here's the source of our assurance. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it, which is to say that because God is faithful, I can be made perfect in love in this life. It's possible because God is faithful. He can do anything he wants, I can be sanctified through and through. I can have an assurance that I am not only saved but accepted. I can feel the freedom of that spiritually and I can start walking in that direction even if I have no confidence at all of ever getting there. It's okay. It's not my striving that gets me there anyway. It's God. He will do it. So we said today that today was Pentecost Sunday. Last Wednesday, May 24th, is what we call in Methodist circles, Aldersgate Day. That was a day on, in 1738, John Wesley, 35 years old, was in a home on Aldersgate Street in London at a Bible study, listening to somebody read Luther's preface to the Romans. For 13 years, he'd been striving after a pure heart. He'd been really striving and he went to this Bible study feeling pretty dejected. 
And then suddenly, sitting in this living room, doing nothing but listening to Luther's preface to the Romans, he got it. They say it's God's work, not ours. Here's what he wrote in his journal that day. He was a real journaler. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. It's kind of funny, actually. Within weeks of that experience, uh, Wesley would write in his journal, um, I'm a sinner. I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. I mean, it, 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 obviously, John Wesley was not Jesus. <laughs> he was a fallen human being. Kind of a mess of a person, actually. He couldn't say he loved God. Couldn't say he'd ever felt jo- uh, joy. Eight months later... In his journal, January uh, 1739, he wrote, I am not a Christian. (laughs) Have you ever done that? (laughs) Like, have you been in that place? (laughs) So what happened to him on May 24th, 1738? I think it was a beginning and not an end. It's the whole thing about sanctification. You You have moments, particularly those big beginning moments when you take real leaps. I think it was a beginning for him. Fifty years later, he would write that when the people commonly called Methodist began 50 years ago to preach that grand Christian doctrine, salvation by faith, free salvation by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, they didn't get the difference 50 years ago, this is John Wesley talking. They didn't get the difference between a servant and a child of God. He said he'd learned over the years that you can be a servant of God and still be saved. You can, you can work your righteousness, your holiness, your plan. You're, you're, you're not a child of the devil if you're still on this journey thinking it's all up to you. You're just tired. <laughs> Because you've held the Spirit at arm's length. And you have no joy because you've lived in fear of life rather than fearing a holy and good God. That doesn't make you a pagan. You call yourself a servant. That doesn't make you a pagan. It just makes you tired. And so Wesley would say, you're only a servant. You're not a child of God. You've, you've already great reason to praise God that he has called you into his honorable servant service. But now, fear not. I love this. Fear not. Continue crying unto him and you shall see greater things than these. So this is our, this is our call. Will you stand? At the end of this, series, I want to say to you, you you are probably a follower of Jesus if you're in this room. You, You might be living as a servant. 
And you know it if you're just flat tired. Are you tired of trying? Tired of trying to feel it? Tired of faking it? Tired of feeling like it's all up to you? I want to say to you that if you're tired, that's good news. <laughs> because God is faithful. He wants to rescue you from the tyranny of the try. And move you from servant to son. From worker to daughter. That's the payoff of the sanctified life. Do you have faith enough to stretch toward that? I want to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. And I want to say to you right now, please, just in, in humility I ask this, don't quench the spirit. If something's welling up in you right now, don't quench the spirit. Don't ignore the prophetic voice. The voice of Jesus saying, come on, come on, come on. Stretch your faith a little further. Come on. Clean out that closet. Come on. Don't marry that thing. Get, get out from under that oppressive habit. Get out from under that lie you've been living in. Get out from under that lie of guilt and shame. I want you to believe that holiness is a burden and not freedom. Get out from under that. Don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. A thing in you that wants to be free, that actually wants to go further than where you've gone before. Listen to that voice. A thing that wants you, that voice that says, come on, you can, you can stretch your faith toward, uh, toward greater things than you might even be able to imagine right now. Stretch your faith enough to let go of the the things in your life that are only oppressive to you. Stretch your faith enough to forgive someone who needs forgiving. Stretch your faith enough to let go of anger or bitterness or greed. Trust that the God who saw you to this will see you through this. Listen to that voice. That's the voice that wants to sanctify you through and through. Jesus, we, we welcome that voice in this room. We welcome it. And Jesus, I pray for especially for those in this room who are just tired, whose faith is tired, faith is worn out, who need to hear that you are inviting them into the place of be a son or a daughter out of servanthood into childhood. God. Remember that the whole thing is about centering on Jesus, not about me. Center on Jesus. 
thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.